Hello, everyone, and welcome back to America's Game. I am your host, Eric Vanek. You can find me at Eric Vanek NFL on Twitter. And I am here again with my host, or co-host, Scott Connor. Scott, how you doing, man? Eric, thanks for having me back. Another episode. We got to episode four. I know I always joke that uh, you know, <laughs> we still have the platform. We're not canceled yet, but I'm, I'm serious when I say that just because of... Uh, you know, sometimes we can get very animated with stuff. So thanks for having me back. Excited for this one. Uh, in the midst of training camp and getting getting ready to kick off the preseason. And, uh, yeah, glad to be back for it. Yeah, same here. I watched a little bit of the preseason game last night. I know you were traveling, so you probably didn't get to see any of it other than maybe some highlights. But, yeah, it was, it was good to see football back. And you know, see some of these players that we we've been excited to see play a little bit. So we got to see Zamir white last night. He looked really good running the ball. He caught um, three passes. He looked really good in the past game too, especially with Zamir. That that was one of his um, downfalls a little bit, I guess that he wasn't a good pass catcher. They had James cook catching the ball at Georgia, but now Zamir looked just fine catching the ball. So that, that was really good to see. Snoop Connor was another one. He had a couple nice plays early on. He looked really good. And then the I think one of the uh, Raiders receivers, Tyron Johnson, who's been getting a lot of buzz at camp, he looked uh, really good as well. So it was good, it was good to see some football though. Yeah, I didn't honestly catch much of the game. I saw like thirty seconds worth of clips. Uh, that's pretty much it. So that that's my extent of following that i mean i looked i read a couple things on it but that's it i haven't actually watched any of the highlights so i have to check that out because sometimes it's good to see just see the rookies you know what i mean you see the names i mean obviously i remember snoop connor and zamir white from playing in the sec but actually just seeing them on the nfl field sometimes that gives you a little bit of a different uh a different view or different perspective but it also creates some bias which definitely is uh is rampant at this point during during this point of the NFL season with training camp hype. So definitely you see some bias by seeing him take the field for the first time. There's always some bias of try to move some of these players for even like third round picks, second round picks. And it's like, until somebody sees them with a highlight, you can't do it. So that that's interesting that we have that season starting. Right. And, you know, like you said, there's a lot of trades that can be going on just off of the camp hype. And you see these Twitter clips. I know in our, discord channel with uh, Ray's destination Debbie crew and, and the Heisman channel. We're always posting Twitter clips. Of, oh, did you see what Drake London did? Did you see what Sky Moore did all these guys? And you know, it's happening everywhere. Everyone's seeing these clips and these guys are just getting hyped up even more and more and more almost as, you know, more than when they were drafted at times. So you could definitely take some action on those and make some trades, you know, get some extra profit on your draft pick from from that player or or whatnot. So that's definitely the season to do that right now. Well, let's get into it. I mean, there's a lot of uh, a lot of names going around, but we we chose some ones to actually talk about that might be actionable if you want to make some moves. So I mean, I don't know if you want to get started, but I, I actually before we even do that, I wanted to ask you about. Uh, one of the strategies that you have with with this type of thing, are you finding that you can get some traction on making these types of moves on selling these players if there's a preseason highlight or 
you know, a, a puff piece out there, like they're going to win this job or they're doing this in training camp. Like, have you found that people still fall for that stuff or is it more of that's a, a used to be thing? And now it's like, you need to see more than just a couple practice clips or a preseason highlight to actually liquidate a player for a pick. Yeah. I think that's something in the past for sure. Like, like you always say, fantasy players have gotten a lot more smarter. There's more content out there and you know, that just people aren't doing that kind of thing. Now that was a sucker move uh, back in the day, but yeah, like, you know, Tyler Algier got that hype early on. Oh, he could be the starting running back for the Atlanta Falcons this year. Um, could be the, you know, main guy there. Couldn't, you know, threw out second round picks for Tyler Algier, um, spammed them in my leagues, couldn't get it done. But there, there's multiple ones like that. But there's also ones where, you know, George Pickens right now, he's having an amazing camp. Like, I'm thinking about going to acquire some of them, but I got to figure out, you know, a way to get them into a deal that works for me and the other owner as well without, like, giving up too much. So it's it's really di- difficult to go, you know, do do all that during the uh, training camp because there's just so much news out there, so, mu- so many different things going on. So I, you know, in a loss for words, but you got to figure out how to, to do that hide them in deals like you talk about as well if you could if you want to do that sort of thing but yeah that that's kind of what i've been doing I, but i've noticed like you said it's it's not really working well okay so let's get into some real kind of actionable talk here because th- this is the exact conversation i wanted to bring up before we talk about these specific players that we said we're gonna we're gonna quickly hit on i think the bigger theme here is how do you go about this because when i ask you the question can you go out and sell a random player for a third because a beat writer at training camp is saying they look really good? Mm. A guy that you know is already fighting for a role, right? Fighting for the number three wide receiver job, fighting for the backup running back job, something like that. Not a starter role, not necessarily like, oh, this guy's going to smash this year. We're talking about a fringe player that probably – isn't worth much more than a roster spot, but is getting some buzz. So Mm. our first thought is, oh, wow, I have a lot of shares of that player. Let me go see if I can get a third, right? Now, the the idea of the third is just to go and use it at another time. You're converting a one single player into a flexible asset, a scarcer asset, meaning there's only 12 third rounders or so in your league, however many teams, there's only that many third rounders. There's a lot of players probably in this tier of, you know, Number three, wide receiver, slot receiver on a team, wide receiver, 85 in Dynasty. You know what I mean? There's a ton Mm -hmm. of those guys. So when I ask you, is it easy to liquidate those types of players based on camp hype or preseason highlights for picks? You say no, because the community's gotten smarter. I agree with you. The average manager is like, I need more than a a training camp puff piece to give away my third right now. Okay. Now that whenever you tell me, You can't do this universally. I could say, Eric, you're in 44 leagues or whatever. How many guys have you been able to sell during the last week week or two at what you think is the fair market trading price? And you're like, "Uh, none. Mm -hmm. So my response is, okay, if across the board, you and me, everyone in the Discord, everyone in my Patreon, nobody can really get any deals done. They can't sell for picks. 
if it's like universal across the board, everyone you interact with is going, I'm struggling to make this move. My first mm. inclination is go, let me go the other way. Maybe yeah. I should be buying some players for thirds. Mm. Now, inherently, I know that's a bad move because I'm gambling on something in August. We haven't even started the season. There hasn't even been any preseason games except for the, the Hall of Fame game. Injuries are still here. Other guys can take jobs in training camp, right? So you're kind of shooting at a moving target when you're paying picks for players at this point. But you are gaining some value by going against the grain because it's like everyone in my league wants to sell for picks right now. So maybe I should be the one going, okay, I'll buy for picks. But then the question becomes, you know, how do you go about that? Like you said, because, I, you know, one of the players and we'll lead into the players is, you know, you – I kind of was giving you shit the other day about you really wanted to be buying Devontae Parker, mm. right? And you've hated Devontae Parker for years. I remember last year, you know, during the training camp pods, you're going, this guy's done. Get him off mm. my roster. He's an absolute dog. I don't want him. He's dead, right? Mm -hmm. And all that all it took was a move of a situation for Parker, and now you're back interested in him. And I... I respect you basically saying, okay, I'm pretty agnostic when it comes to these players, right? Parker's in a good situation with an efficient quarterback. He probably could be the number one target on his offense. Mm -hmm. Why not buy back in? Here's the problem. You go, I went and tried to buy some Devontae Parker and you're sending out for thirds and guess what? What happened? Yeah, all rejects. Rejection, rejection, rejection. Now, it, but he's not I, worth a second either. <laughs> he's not worth thing. a second. He's probably worth a third, but the problem is, and I even said this to you when you called me and you're like, yeah, I've been trying to buy Parker and I started to give you shit and you were like, well, you know, I'm going to send out offers. The problem is as soon as you send that offer, you give a third for Parker, the person's going to go, I already got Eric. He's the fish. He's already, he's already on the hook. Mm -hmm. They know you want that one specific player and you're willing to give up a, a, a fungible asset, right? It's right. like you walk into a store, you see an item that you have to have. It's the last one in your collection. You need to have it. If that person knew that you need to have it and they're the only one that has that item, whatever's on the price tag is almost irrelevant because they can just be like, nah, man, it's $5 more. And then you have to decide, is this worth it for me for the whatever extra value I'm trying to buy with that pick? Is it worth for me to pay the extra price? And I think generally your answer was no, it's not. But as soon as they knew they have you because you've given yourself away by offering a pick for one individual player, they know they got you at that point. Right. So I'm, I'm going to ask you this. What is the workaround? I think that's what you were trying to answer before. And on those types of deals, did you get – I'm most curious when you sent out third-round picks, I think generally is what you sent for Parker, right? Right, yeah. I tried some other – type things but mostly yeah what type of counter offers if any did you get because that's where the psychology comes in like that's that's where you kind of get a read on whether that person you're trying to trade with is mm -hmm. either just not trading with you because they're scared or because they just don't want to or they understand the game that you're playing back and forth what type of what type of counter offers did you get i got zero i got none N not even a give me a 24 second or anything like that. Nothing. Nope. Okay. So, so generally my takeaway from that is you're trying to trade with a lot of people that are just complacent, inactive, 
they're not necessarily going in a, a true back and forth with you, trying to one up you. They're they're just not really. I mean, I'll be honest, they're not really that smart dynasty managers. Because right. if that was me, I'd be sitting here going like, okay, I'm fine selling Parker, but I know Eric wants him, so let me at least take a shot at getting a little bit more than what I know Eric's going to pay. Because I could decline, walk away, come back to you. If one of those guys sent you Parker for a third right this second while we're recording this show, you'd accept it. Yeah. So, like, they don't, they're not in a rush to make the sale. You know what I mean? They could come back to you in three days, barring that he doesn't, like, you know, blow his Achilles in practice. You would do the deal three days later. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So... I'm surprised nobody went back and countered to you with like, hey, give me a 24 second, which you would have declined. But when you say that's the smart move, if someone's trying to do this to you, you go back with the, the like 20% more than what they're willing to pay and just kind of see how they respond. Yeah, that's how I usually do it. I can see if what, you know, I can extra little topping I can get on top of it. If I'm, you know, someone proposes that sort of to me, I'm going to look back at it and go, oh, okay. I, I'm fine with getting the third for Parker, but maybe I can get a little something else. Can I get a fourth round pick? Can I get a you know another wide receiver back that I that I like or or running backs, especially a running back. If I can get you know one of these undrafted free agent running backs that we like, or you know sixth seventh round running back, you know can I get Isaiah Pacheco who's getting you know a lot of hype right now? Could I get him back? in the deal. So that's, that's something I would be looking to do. Or if they send you an offer for a third, you counter with two thirds. Right. Or two thirds. Yep. And that allows you to make two moves like that. So it's essentially, you're adding some leverage back to where you're getting two shots at the apple or two bites at the apple versus one. Like that, that that's, I think, and I know this is a literally a meaningless trade Devonte parker for a third but i think it's fascinating and this just doesn't apply to picks for thirds it it applies for her players for thirds it applies to basically the psychology of trading in general of understanding what the other person's objective is when they send you the offer a lot of times you may not be sure but in this case eric is sending a pick for one individual player so it's very easy to decipher eric's goal is to buy that player So then it just comes back to what is Eric going to pay? So Mm -hmm. by shutting the deal down and just declining without comments, I mean, any of your rejections, did they actually have comments like, hey, I'm kind of high on Parker or, hey, I have Mac Jones. I don't want to trade him away. Any responses like that are just cold rejections with no comments. I mostly would say they were all cold rejections with no comments. I may have gotten one comment, but I don't remember what it was off the top of my head. Yeah, probably because you saw the rejection. You're just like, delete, fuck that guy, right? <laughs> In so many didn't, words, yeah. Didn't read the comment. But no, the the idea here is that if you're not getting a counter and you're not getting a response, then you can almost chalk up that manager as just, they're just complacent. They just hit the reject button because they don't want you to get what you want, you know? Right. And one and another thing too is I bet you I could go back to a lot of those leagues and go and look and see how many are still outstanding in their inbox and I sent these probably on Monday. That's you know, we're sitting here on Friday. Still sitting there 4 days later. I got to go in the group me or Discord or whatever and tag this person, "Hey, sent you an offer. Go fucking look at it already." 
Yeah, know? that <laughs> that that is annoying. Uh, and again, that's that's another response you can chalk up to as the person clearly either just ignored the offer, isn't active, you know, saw it and is like, I don't have an incentive to accept this right now. I think it's just fascinating. And we'll move on from this topic. But I mean, literally, we could do a whole show on trade psychology and reading the other people in your league and really trying to figure out like what is behind the action that they take when they respond to something that you do. And you and you would think that this is very, very basic, but you can actually generate information for free by sending out trade offers. And that's an underrated thing. I mean, I, I'm one that will have days where I just wake up and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to spend 45 minutes right now just going through and batch sending trade offers. I'll send 100 trade offers in a morning mm-hmm. because it's just robotic. I know exactly what I'm trying to do. Maybe I'm not as cognizant to pay attention to the responses when I do that. But I'm getting free information back just by sending the trade offers. If I send out 50 trade offers and I get 10 rejections in the next two hours and three of those have comments, that is just three pieces of information that I've gained. And information is information is power. Information is value when it comes to Dynasty. So I think it's just fascinating. We're in that that season now where you know there's going to be a lot of transactions over the next month. Of just people not only buying players or selling players based on preseason and training camp, but setting their teams up for this season. So that's what's going to kind of lead us into our next topic with uh, just a bunch of players that we're kind of making these types of moves with. So get into it. Camp news. Right. So, I mean, we talked about Devontae Parker enough, so I won't talk about him anymore. But they're definitely Zamir White right now after his good camp or uh, good game last night. It's probably not the best time to go and try and buy him right now because people are going to want a second-round pick for him right now. I'm not sure if I'm re- ready to part with a second-round pick straight up for Zamir White. Another one that's getting a lot of buzz right now is Isaiah McKenzie. You know, he was pretty much on a lot of waiver wires. You probably got him for free mostly. I don't think many people were drafting him at all outside of, like, return yardage leagues maybe, but... What do you think about McKenzie? Like, is he, I know you, you talk about having, you know, top 50, 55 wide receivers on your roster. Does McKenzie fit into that role for you or no? No, he doesn't. But I mean, I think he's worth a roster spot. The problem with McKenzie for me is that he's always going to be on that fringe of like, always right on the edge, even in deeper formats of like roster cogger territory. But I mean, I, the tough part for me is I'm very meticulous with my portfolio and the wide receivers that I carry, but I also have to admit that there are certain leagues where it makes no sense to have McKenzie on a roster, a 12 team start 10 with only two flexes. Mm-hmm. Unlikely. That's how I would build my team around ever needing to use a guy like him. So if I could flip him for literally any running back, that's going to make a roster, I'm looking to do that. But we also play in some leagues you know, 14 teams start 13 leagues. It's like, it's not the worst thing in the world to have a couple of those guys lingering on your bench. So I have to acknowledge and Normally I am one of my flaws in dynasty is I sometimes don't differentiate between the two. I'm all or nothing. You know what I mean? Like I don't want any Isaiah McKenzie. So I'll even sell him on those teams where I probably have to do a better job of acknowledging, okay, the the roster cloggers in a 14-team start 13 is different than a 12-team start 10. It just is. The numbers are different. 
So you have to adjust your expectations and you can't just look at it from a portfolio perspective and say, well, I don't want any of this receiver because he's a roster clogger. Whereas there's probably a place in some of our leagues to have guys like McKenzie and many others. So I think it's more of those leagues. I'm not buying him. Like I'm not going to you and being like, dude, I'll give you two thirds for Isaiah McKenzie. Even if it's a 14 team start 13, that's not how I want to spend my picks. Right. But those are not the leagues where I'm going auto accept trade block for, you know, a third necessarily. You know what I mean? Like that might be the one where if I already have him in that league, I go, okay, I'll just hold on to him. I'll see if he's usable because I know the format warrants that he could be usable. It'd be the same in best ball. He'd be the type of player in best ball. You're not giving away for a third necessarily, right? You probably want a certain number of those types in a best ball league, especially if it's 35 man, 35 man rosters and 14 starters, right? He's a guy you would want. Now, you may not want to pay a third, and the reason you don't pay a third is because there's probably two dozen players that fit in that range. So what I'd rather do is try to get two guys for a third. You know, let me go buy, like, Jamison Crowder and McKenzie for a third. See if I can get both, because I'm almost guaranteed to get some spike weeks out of both of them combined, you know? Right. But I think what you have to do with these types of players, especially fringe receivers, you really have to look at your formats and go, All right, Eric, this is a point per carry start 11, 12 team. Why am I carrying 16 receivers? Mm -hmm. Why am I carrying Isaiah McKenzie on that roster? It is better. And I know it feels gross, but you are better off trading Isaiah McKenzie for literally Samaje P. Ryan or someone even lower than that. Because the one start you would get in a point per carry from a running back is worth more than you're ever going to capture with Isaiah McKenzie in your lineup. Because if you're starting him in your lineup in a start 11 point per carry, you're probably in trouble. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So I think it's really identifying where these players fit on that hierarchy and then determining what formats you just need to get rid of them. So that's where I'm at on a guy like him. If I have him, I'll keep him in certain leagues, but other formats, you and it's not just him. There's other players in the same range. You, you just you just dump because the format doesn't warrant even holding this type of player. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I like McKenzie for sure with all this hype that he's been getting, I can definitely see where he could have some of those spike weeks, but he's also going to have some of those weeks where you're like, Oh man, why did I even play this guy? He cost me a win basically with his three points. So you got to take the ups and downs with a guy like McKenzie. In, in best ball, that's definitely a guy I would love to have is McKenzie on my rosters because you can get those spike weeks. You never um, have to start him in your lineup. He just, you know, you get that spike week whenever he has it. So definitely a guy that I would want more in best ball if I can. In my lineup leagues, like you said, it's our start 13, start 14 leagues that we have. Sure, I'll throw that guy in. You know, hey, he's playing a – you know, not so good defense this week. I'll throw him in there or, you know, Gabe Davis or Stefan Diggs is down with an injury this week. You know, McKenzie's going to get more work. I'm going to throw him in there this week and take shots at him there. So that that's kind of what I would do with McKenzie. You know, if somebody comes to me and offers me um, a third round pick for him. Sure. I'll probably take it depending on the format and stuff. I may ask for a little more. Maybe I get another receiver or running back. Uh, lesser back, but these are the kinds of times where you just kind of accept that profit that you got a McKenzie that you pulled off the waiver wire for free and just accept that profit of a third round pick. 
Another guy I wanted to bring up here was Elijah Moore. He's gotten buzz as potentially the number one wide receiver there in New York. You know, obviously they have Garrett Wilson and Corey Davis as well, but Moore is kind of taking the the lead there. He's been doing really good in practice, all kinds of highlights that you see all over Twitter with him. Is Elijah Moore somebody that you would be willing to send a 2023 first for right now? Well, you know that answer. Probably not. Not just because he's a wide receiver that you're basically making a bet falls uh, not into the warp range we talked about a couple weeks ago with the Michael Pittman and Allen Robinson example. I mean, listen, Elijah Moore is probably on the higher end of that. His floor is probably somewhere at the, you know, wide receiver 30 ish range, you know, like I don't see a way where his dynasty value goes below that unless he gets hurt. Mm -hmm. Uh, But really the bet you're making by paying a first form is that, you know, he can ascend into that range top 10 or better, Uh, which I, I think it's possible. We had a long conversation about, him versus Amon Ross St. Brown yesterday in the discord. And it's interesting because like the biggest value years for receivers are usually the second and third year. That's the year where you're going to see them either explode or they're just going to kind of stay in this. I know he's pretty good, but he's probably never going to be elite type of range. And that's where he is this year. If he goes out and he's wide receiver 22, and he gets 135 targets. You're like, oh, he had a good season. He's worth having. I know he's a good NFL receiver. I can pencil him in for years to come as a wide receiver two, wide receiver three, depending on his situation. But I think you're also now making a bet with Elijah Moore that, you know, over, I didn't run this data for 2021, but through from 2011 to 2020, and you look at the top 12 receivers every single year, it usually like, two thirds or more. So right around, I think it was around like eight and a half per season, top 12 receivers were tied to like top 12 efficiency quarterbacks period. So it really didn't even matter who the receiver was, but you look at the names and you'd be like, Oh yeah, that, uh, let's see this year. There was oh, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, Adam Thielen, Stefan Diggs. You know what I mean? It, it's always attached to an efficient quarterback. So really I think Elijah Moore He's on that fringe of like, he could swing into that value range. If he swings into that value range, I think he's very heavily correlated with Zach Wilson. So I think that that's, that that's ultimately what it is. Elijah Moore could blow up and he could be, I know this was a lofty comparison, but he could be like a, the next Odell Beckham, you know what I mean? And that's like 1%, but it would involve Zach Wilson getting to a, Mm-hmm. You know, a, a Matt Stafford, Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr level range or better overnight. It can't be in three years. It's got to be this year. So I think that's why I wouldn't pay a first for Elijah Moore, only because I'm foregoing the chance at hitting on a higher warp asset, either by trading the pick or drafting another receiver, which I don't want to do. I don't want to just wait and draft a first round receiver next year, but at least by drafting a player. I'm re-rolling on potentially hitting on one of those guys. If he, if a lot, if Elijah Moore doesn't do it this year, he's never going to do it. Right. He's basically like another DJ Moore. Who's a hell of a player. He's just been stuck in a situation. And if Elijah Moore is wide receiver 20 this year, Zach Wilson's probably good enough to where it's like, he's not going to get replaced, mm-hmm. but he's not going to elevate to a level where he's carrying his receivers to top 12 seasons. So it's, it's almost like this is the trigger year for the jets. 
they either pop and they pop big or they're just like, oh, okay, they're a solid offense, you know, but they're, those are not scarce assets. So I know that's a long winded answer, but that's how I see Elijah. Now, if you're not going to do a 2023 first for him, what are you looking to do? Cause I don't think somebody's just going to accept any random 2023 second for Elijah Moore. You may get it done, but I highly doubt it. No, I, I, well, first of all, Elijah Moore is my highest owned receiver. So I'll be transparent there. So I'm not looking to buy him for that reason. I'm almost 20% of Elijah Moore, and that's across 57 leagues. Mm -hmm. So I'm not targeting him. But if I was, so as much as I just kind of shit on him, or not shit on him, but I said, oh, wait, this is a a risky asset to pay a first for, I'm very exposed on Elijah Moore. So I would look at it from the other way. The deals where I could sell for a 23 first and you throw me in a running back, I'll sell. Because I'm acknowledging that there's a minimal chance that I think he gets to that top 12 level. And that's a product of just his situation. He is absolutely good enough to get to that level. But you're betting against his situation, allowing him to propel into that range. So I think that's the bet. And that's why I'm kind of hesitant to be like, oh, okay, I'll buy. Because I agree with you. You go to somebody and you go, I'll give you a 23 second. No. Mm -hmm. Well, what else do you want on top of a 23 second? Uh, Well, a 23 second is more of like the sweetener in the deal. That's not going to move the needle for somebody Mm -hmm. to sell him to you. So you're not buying him for less than a first. I don't blame somebody for saying I want a first plus to sell him. But just acknowledge the type of deal you're making and that the range of asset, forget about the player name. He just happens to be one of those specific players where we zoom in on a situation and we say his quarterback probably needs to take a big step up. I mean, didn't we talk about it a couple episodes? Zach Wilson was the worst quarterback in the league last year, mm-hmm. like, like bar none. I mean, he was worse than like Daniel Jones, Sam Darmy. He was bad. Now he was a rookie and he was hurt and it was a train wreck offensive line. Like I get it. There's a lot of context there. But to then just elevate him into this range in year two, I think that's quite a leap. I think you would agree. It's hard to envision him getting to like top 12 quarterback this year overnight. You know, that wouldn't be, that's kind of an unfair expectation on him. So I don't think you can buy Elijah Moore unless you pay a first. And I don't blame the person for doing it. But let me ask, if you give a 24 first, I don't think that moves the needle. Wouldn't you agree? People don't want that. They want more. Yeah, I think they would still want more. I think you almost have to like tear down a little bit. You'd probably have to give up a second and Brandon Ayuk, something like that. I I think he is the Michael Pittman of this episode. He's the guy you tear down and you get another player. You get another receiver that you're betting is going to be in the same warp range. You're probably going to give up a couple, mm-hmm. couple years. But I mean, there are other receivers that are a little bit lower that you're like, if you could get those guys plus for Elijah Moore, you would do it all day. It's the same example as we gave with Pittman a couple weeks ago, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, is, isn't he, I think, a little bit of a better version of Michael Pittman, but I think it's close. I think he's got he's younger and he has a better profile, but I think the market kind of used Pittman and Elijah Moore very highly, both of them. So right. they're the perfect guys where if you identify that they're at the very top end of this non-difference-making range, isn't it make perfect sense if you have those two on a team to kind of pivot down and, you know, can you get Traylon Burks and a 24 first for Elijah Moore and a 23 second? Something like that. I think that's, yeah, I think that could be doable. Yeah. 
And aren't you just betting that Traylon Burks and Elijah Moore kind of have similar ranges of outcomes there? And you basically swapped a 23 second for a 24 first. You would do that. Yeah. I mean, I, I propose you that deal. What side do you take? I bet you, you gravitate towards the Burks in the first, don't you? Probably. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, I think those are the types of moves to make. And it just depends on what names you want to insert. I mean, it, my opinion on what name and your opinion on what name could be different, but I think he's yeah. just in one of those ranges where it's like, man, I like him. He's got a chance to ascend into this range, but I'm willing to bet against it. And where his value is now, it just makes sense that he's the perfect pivot down candidate, just like Pittman was. Right. Yeah. I'm just looking at a Deco's ADP while we're talking about this of guys I could pivot down to. I mean, they have Elijah Moore at wide receiver 27 and Ayuk was 39. So that would be a, you know, a kind of a pivot. I think that you could get done, you know, could George Pickens in a 20, uh, 23 second for Elijah Moore, something like that. I think you could get done too. So, I mean, there, there's, there's many different ways to, to do these tier downs, but that's probably what I would be looking at with it. Yeah. Well, and just to, to end this. So I am comfortable with, so here's the thing I'm comfortable with my Elijah Moore exposure. So I haven't been aggressive in making those trades, but if I were, Exactly what you're talking about is but what I would be doing. I would be going, okay, I have 20% Elijah Moore. I know he's at this peak point where if he exceeds this peak point, he's going to explode in value. He's going to double in value next year. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's going to jump up into like AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, Jalen Waddle level value range, which right. I know I'll be able to cash that out next year, probably for an even bigger deal of a similar nature. But since I acknowledge he's on the top end of this range, I would be looking to pivot down and the names I would be targeting would be, okay, I have Trey Lance on this team. That's the one I'm going to try the IU pivot. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to try to gain some extra value by doing a stack, try to pivot off Elijah Moore for a lesser receiver that I can also stack. You right. know, maybe I'm stuck with Justin Fields on this team. Can I get a 24 first and Darnell Mooney for Elijah Moore? Like I would do those types of deals where it makes sense and try to align the receivers that I'm buying on the other end with maybe the quarterbacks that I have on those teams. And then also with, with other receivers that I'm maybe a little lower on exposure to, because here, I mean, listen, we could take wide receivers 15 through 30 right now in dynasty, probably two or three of those guys are going to blow up and jump into the top 15 or better next year. I don't know which ones, but if I had to rank which ones I'm going to make, make a bet on, I'm probably going to make a bet on the ones that have really efficient quarterbacks and could be seen as like the alphas in their offense, right? So I'm going to bet on uh, Jerry Judy with Russell Wilson. You know, I'm going to bet on Marquise Brown with Kyler Murray. Right. You know, I'm going to bet on Rashad Bateman with Lamar Jackson. You know, like I'm going to bet on specific ones. I'm probably not betting on, you know, Garrett Wilson isn't gaining in value next year. If he does, then Elijah Moore is probably going to gain in value even higher. You know, like Drake London is probably not gaining value next year because of his situation. He's probably just going to kind of stay where he is. If you have Drake London right now at wide receiver 16, what are you hoping for? He's just good, right? And he stays there next year and then he gets a better quarterback. Right. So it just you just have to think about these things and just how the community is going to behave if X, Y, and Z happens. And we know historically that you don't see these massive seasons from guys that have inefficient quarterbacks. So think about that. Right. 
All right, the next one I wanted to bring up here quickly was Mo Alley-Cox. So with Mo Alley right now, he's probably a tight end that is outside the top 24 at tight end right now, probably around that range. And looking at the camp notes and stuff that I've read so far is Jelani Woods has been struggling a little bit. It seems like he's slow to pick up everything so far, and that's okay for a rookie, especially at tight end. That's one of the positions where it's it's very hard to come in and transition and pick everything up from the run game to your passing game to your blocking assignments. So it's a lot for a tight end to process early on. So it's not crazy that Jelani Woods is struggling right now. And they also have said Kylan Granson's been a little bit up and down, and he's struggling a little bit too. So I think Mo Alley is definitely locked in to that tight end one spot, especially he's been getting really good chemistry going with Matt Ryan right now. He's been catching the ball really good at camp. So I think Mo Alley is a guy that's pretty much locked in there. And I, I don't see why he can't be, you know, a top 15, 16 tight end for us this year, especially with the way that Matt Ryan has peppered the tight ends in the past in his career with Tony Gonzalez and Austin Hooper and Hayden Hurst. You know, you can go on and on with the tight ends there, but I think Bo Alley is a guy that's probably a little bit underrated right now. And in your start two tight end leagues, your 1.75 premium leagues, that's a guy I don't mind giving up. Like, see if I can give up a third round pick to get him before, you know, the manager realizes, oh, this might be a really good player for me. You know, there isn't much love out there for Mo Alley Cox. Not everyone's out there going to pick him up. Yeah, and before the listeners are sitting here thinking, why the hell is Eric talking about Mo Alley Cox? I think you nailed it. 1.75, two PPR, start two tight ends. If if you're not in one of those formats, ignore what Eric just said. Because right. it's fruitless to even be operating in this kind of range where you're looking at a player like this. Mm-hmm. However, if you're in one of those leagues, I'll, I'll turn it to you. Because I've done a lot of talking on kind of my theory and my approach on making these types of deals. It, we're in plenty of start two tight end leagues. We're in plenty of 1.75, two PPR leagues. That's probably half your portfolio of leagues, honestly, those types mm-hmm. of leagues. Uh, is this a guy you're going? I mean, are you convicted enough to go pay a third? And, you know, in a start two league, you go offer a third. It's just like Devontae Parker. The person is going to, that that person might not even have been paying attention. But as soon as you send them that offer, they're going to go, well, wait a second. This is a start two tight end league. Mm-hmm. Eric's fairly sharp. You know, he plays in a lot of leagues. He's active in the chat. Hey, Eric has a podcast. Why does he want to give me a third? What does he know that I don't? Right. So then they Google Mo Alley Cox if they actually type his name in right. They may not. Uh, They (laughs) type it on Twitter and it says no results because they're not spelling it right. But anyway, then they they decline. Like, like, Talk through your approach. Are you just going to go spam? Because, again, you only want to spam in the leagues where you know the tight end matters, right? Right. So how are you going to go about it? Yeah, my start 10, one tight end league, 1.5 premium. Yeah, I'm not going to go spam for, for in those leagues. But, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll start with a third. And if, you know, I get rejected or I get a counter offer, then I'm going to go back if I have the time. Since I don't have much time lately. But if I have the time, I'll go back and make another counter offer. I mean, I don't want to give up a second for Moali Cox. That's way too much. So I'm going to have to give up a third and maybe another player that's getting some buzz. You know, we've been talking, we'll talk about here in a little bit about wide receivers like, you know, your Quez Watkins, your, 
you know, Donovan Peoples Jones, like these guys that m- probably don't really matter warp wise. I'll just throw one of those guys in with the third round pick and hopefully that gets it done. You know, that's kind of would be my approach right now. You know, like, like I, I was saying, no one's going to take the third for Mo Alley in that kind of a league. You're probably right. I might get one sucker or two suckers that do it, which would be great. But I'm probably going to have to do a third and something else. So that's probably what would be my approach. So you're saying the third you can start with, it probably gets rejected if the person realizes, oh, this is a start two tight end league. And I probably shouldn't trade him for a third, especially if they look up, hey, he's been getting rave reviews. You know, he could be the number two option on the team, whatever. Right. So then you try to then you add to you don't want to pay. You would agree in those leagues. You don't want to pay two thirds because now you're giving up two flexible pieces. Right. Right. But so then you immediately go into, okay, what can I add that is in a completely neutral, meaningless warp range, a throw in wide receiver or a a tight end that you would consider to be even further down buried on your roster. You know, a guy like Noah Gray or someone like that. Right. Like you'd throw him in with a third and just hope the other person is like, oh, I'm getting a free third out of this because they they see both of them as like kind of throw in tight ends. So you just try to add a second piece just to make it look like the deal you're offering a little bit more. Right. Got it. I mean, I like it. I think I think that's how you have to go about it because as soon as you send the third – if the person has half a brain, they're going to go, well, wait a second. Eric wants to give me a third. Why do I do this? You know? So I think you have to find creative ways. And that's, that's kind of one of the psychology parts of dynasty is you have to figure out a way to convince the other person that they're getting good value, but you're also essentially giving them just puff pieces. You know, you're giving them just a throw in piece that really matters. Nothing. So let us know if you get any deals done. I'll be interested. Yeah, Definitely. And then the last two I wanted to bring out. The first one is real quick here. Tim Patrick's ACL injury. That sucks, but I've I've seen you talk about it. You you're just cutting him, right? Yeah. I mean, he's a 29-year-old receiver that has a torn ACL and yeah, he's got a contract, but yeah, he he has a contract now. But let's see how he's viewed when he has come recovering from a torn ACL, you know what I mean? At best, he recovers. Like I hope he recovers fully. And next July, we're talking about Tim Patrick's full go, ready to go out to prove that, you know, this was his big opportunity this year and he wants another shot. He's hungry. Like I can absolutely, we could write those stories 10 months from now. Right. Right. He's hungry. You know, he got paid, but he never got to show what he was going to be able to do. And you can already see it coming, but at best, because he is a no pedigree player, in his upper 20s, coming off a torn ACL, at best next year, he is viewed as like a very poor man's Robert Woods. And I think Robert Woods is a guy that had like five top 20 seasons before this. You know what I mean? So he's somebody that if he bounced back, I think people would buy in a little quicker because of his name. You can't get a second for Robert Woods. Right. So it's like if if Tim Patrick bounces back to 30% less than Robert Woods, what is he worth? At best, you might find a sucker to give you a third. At best. So really, I I think he just unfortunately is a roster clogger. And you might go, oh, he's not clogging my roster because he's on my IR. Yeah, he's a roster clogger. Whenever you have to clear that spot, he's a roster clogger. So I'm the kind of person that just cuts him now. Because when I have to free him up next year off the IR, 
do I really want to do I really want to hold Tim Patrick all season and then have to clear him and hold him all off season? Or would you rather have an extra roster spot to speculate on rookies after the rookie draft or acquire a couple extra picks and make picks or acquire a couple extra veterans in the off season? Cause they're really, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make sense. So yeah, I would just cut him. And the, and the same goes for Justin Ross, same principle that Scott. Exactly. Just exactly. Exactly. So, th- thank you for wasting your third round rookie picks for on Justin Ross. We appreciate it. Well, and here's the thing. It, the last point I'll make, someone else will pick up Justin Ross. Someone yeah. else will pick up Tim Patrick. But if you think about it, if we're considering them to be roster cloggers, you are actually sabotaging someone else on your team that next July, you're going to look at their active roster of 30 players and go, ah, he's holding Tim Patrick and Justin Ross. What a sucker. You know what I mean? So, so it's, they're good enough to get picked up. And that's part of the reason why you drop them because someone else will use the roster spot on them. And that's one less person that you have to contend with players that are out there because they want to hold these types of players. So it's actually more of like a sabotage drop because you know, you can't sell them for anything. Mm. Yeah. I definitely not going to be able to sell them for anything. That's for sure. And then the last one I wanted to bring up was Matt Stafford. Um, he's got the elbow injury right now, maybe a UCL type injury. I don't want to say it's like Ben Roethlisberger's, but it's, it's a little concerning right now. I know we're, we're in a auction league right now and Allen Robinson and Cooper cup are both up on the board right now. And I'm scared to even bid on them just because of this injury. I think, you know, this is this auction uh, started yesterday and these guys are already up in the range of, you know, probably where they should go. But I'm backing off on both of them just because of this Matt Stafford news. So what are your thoughts with the with the Matt Stafford injury? Yeah, it's definitely scary. I mean, he has quite an injury history. I know it necessarily hasn't been, you know, this specific injury in nature. Anytime you have an elbow injury, it's scary. So I, I guess I'm kind of with you on Stafford and the weapons. Like I'm not aggressively buying them. Whereas I think the community kind of sees this offense as like, man, everyone in this offense should smash because they have a concentration. Like I was in on Tyler Higby. I don't see the point in buying into Tyler Higby because there's a lot of other tight ends that are kind of in the same range where I can go, Oh, I can get Hayden Hurst. Oh, I can get Mo Alley Cox. You know what I mean? Why go get Tyler Higby when really they're all their values are just one year plays. All their values are just completely stagnant, but why go pay for the guy that has any sort of question mark, which kind of neutralizes the tiebreaker you would have given Tyler Higby anyway, because of his quarterback before you would have been like, Oh, Higby's the third or fourth option on the Rams, but he has an efficient quarterback. That's going to be a high volume attack. You know, mm-hmm. that's the type of tight end I would want to target cheaply in these leagues that we were talking about. But now if you're like, you can also get Hayden Hurst or Evan Ingram. Why wouldn't you rather just have those guys versus Higby now? You know, it's kind of the same thing. So, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely nervous, but I guess my counter question to you is what do you do with the nerves besides say, Oh, I'm not spending up for Cooper cup or Allen Robinson. I mean, Mm -hmm. are you, are you actually trying to sell? Like, like if you have Allen Robinson, he's one of those guys that's at the bottom end of the warp range, right? Like he's probably one of the ones you'd be buying because he's cheaper relative to his dynasty cost than some of the higher ones, like the, the Pittman for a Rob in a second, right? Like we're talking about right. that type of deal. 
if you have Allen Robinson now, are you taking some Allen Robinson and trying to shift those over to like a Brandon Cooks or a Michael Thomas or something? You know what I mean? Like in a same type of range where maybe there's not that you're worried about Stafford like not playing, but you're you don't want to be overexposed to Allen Robinson. Like you'd be fine kind yeah. of shifting to some other guys. Is that what you're trying to do or what? Yeah, it, it depends on how many shares that I have of that player. You know, if I only have like three or four Allen Robinsons, okay, I'll probably just see what happens there. But if I'm, you know, have seven, eight, nine Allen Robinsons, and I think I've, I have acquired quite a bit of Allen Robinson this offseason, that's definitely something I would look to, like you said, perfectly pivot to another guy in that same range, you know, Michael Thomas, Brandon Cooks, you know, that's perfect territory to go ahead and maybe shift an Allen Robinson over, especially because Allen Robinson has gotten a lot of hype this off season. A lot of people have talked him up. His training camp is going really well too. I've seen multiple highlights of him just in the end zone, catching passes from Stafford. So that that's definitely something I would consider on teams where I, you know, don't or I have a lot of Allen Robinson and I can afford to move on from him. I don't have much Matt Stafford. Thank thankfully, I think I may have like one or two. So I'm okay with Stafford on that range. With Cooper Cup, man, it's is he ever going to hit that season again? Probably not. So he's probably at his highest value he's ever going to get. I would definitely look into maybe pivoting off of cup and going down to like, if I could get to Debo Samuel, if I can get to AJ Brown, if I can get Drake London, Traylon Burks, Elijah Moore, and then get a plus on top of it. I would go ahead and, and maybe start looking into those too. It's funny you say that. Cause I have as much Allen Robinson as Elijah Moore. He is my tied for the highest ownership or rostership uh, on on my portfolio, Alan Robinson. Mm-hmm. So I, I may have to do that. I may look through and, and obviously I'm going to look at the unstacked teams first. The ones I don't have Stafford. I think I have Robinson and Stafford in like three leagues. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to probably go to the other seven and say like, okay, where can I maybe pivot off of Robinson and look to buy. So if you can't, what do you think is going to be easier for people to do from an actionability standpoint? Do you think it's easier to go from Robinson to like, Michael Thomas, Brandon Cooks, those types? Or do you think it's easier to go from Robinson and then you go down even further and you try to get the plus, but you pivot to like kind of a younger guy that's completely unproven? You pivot to like – like would you pivot? I don't know if you can pivot to Pickens from Robinson, honestly, which is crazy. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's probably pretty square. But would you pivot to like Jahan Dotson in a second, something like that? Yeah, if I could get that done, I would do that. Yeah. Would you do Kadarius Tony? I'm not the biggest Tony fan. I probably wouldn't do it, but they're in the same range as Dotson, so in theory, yes. And would you go down maybe even another tier to uh Christian Kirk and Christian Kirk in a second, Hunter Renfro in a second, like those types of deals? I think you could win those deals because honestly those guys could be just as good as Robinson. They just don't have a high ceiling. Yeah, no, I think you just nailed it. Uh, definitely, you could because those guys could equal Robinson's stats this year. Wouldn't surprise me. And I get the second round pick. Yep. Alan Lazard, or is that too risky in terms of like profile wise? 
Um, I don't mind taking a shot or two at Lazard because Aaron Rodgers has come out and said he's the wide receiver one on this team right now. So I'm going to believe Aaron Rodgers on that. Aaron Rodgers is the one pulling the trigger on all these throws. So I wouldn't mind taking a shot at Alan, Alan Lazard. Um, do you think you could – on Adiko's ADP, they're back-to-back 36 and 37. Do you think you could get Allen Robinson for JMO? Uh, I think you could get. I think you could get JMO for Allen Robinson. Yes, on certain rosters, okay. you might also get declined. The person might yeah. go, "Yeah, I'm just I'm high on JMO. He's my wide receiver too. I'm, I'm willing to." Because the thing is, on JMO is he's probably on teams where they already knew he was going to miss this season. Mm-hmm. So like that's probably not worrying people unless they were like, "Well, I'm on the clock. I'll just pick the best player available." Those are probably not the convicted managers on JMO. They're just mm-hmm. the ones. Oh, he fell to wide receiver six or wide receiver seven, so I'll just take him. But certainly on the clock, at, when they picked him at the 109 or whatever, they probably were like, man, I would have definitely traded him for a veteran receiver. The deal just wasn't on the table then. And maybe it's on the table now and it's August. So maybe they'd be more willing to do it since they know we're getting closer to the season. Right. No, that makes perfect sense. Uh, that's that's definitely some trade ideas that we can definitely uh, work on for sure. So 24 first for Robinson? Or you want more? Um, I would probably take the 24 first, yeah. I think that would definitely work. Ask for the running back thrown in as well. That's the move? Yeah, I think so. I think you can do that. If you can get, like, Sony Michelle back, Chris Evans back, someone like that. Yep. Well, there you go. So, Eric says move off Allen Robinson. I don't disagree. Uh, and it's not even that you're you're fearful of – like him not being good or Stafford not playing. I just think it's not the situation where I think we've got ahead of our skis a little bit. Everyone's kind of picked the Rams as like this concentrating packing passing attack. That's going to smash. And I think the injury just kind of gives you a little bit of pause to say like, I don't need to be all in on the Rams. Maybe I'm just a little more neutral on the Rams. And unfortunately I've, I've bought into, I mean, I have, I mean, I have, 13% 13% Stafford, I have 15% Cup, and I have 18% Robinson. So I'm on the higher end of all of those guys. So if all I right. can make a couple pivots, I'm okay kind of getting back down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it sounds like you're kind of in the same boat with at least Robinson, but not so much on Stafford. Right, and it's just because I'm a little bit scared of this this elbow injury. It, it's been coming, coming up here for the last couple weeks, and sounds like yesterday – they're going to shut him down for like a week or so. And, and it just doesn't sound good, man. It just sounds like there's just going to be problems all year long with that. So I kind of want to avoid it now if I can. So that's kind of where I'm coming at with it. So two additional questions. Is John Walford to pick up? Yeah, probably just because he is the next man up, but he's in that Jacoby Brissett. Mitchell Trubisky range at best. I mean, he's bottom of the barrel. But, but I mean, if you can pick up John Walford over roster clogger receivers, that's probably that's probably yeah. better bang for your buck, right? Yeah, for sure. Because at some point, someone will give you at least a third round pick if you're trying to get a second round pick. But somebody will at least give you a third for a, a starting quarterback. You know, I was there was a point last year where I sold Mike Glennon for a fourth. I was happy to do it. Right, because that the biggest win in that trade is some other idiot took Mike Glennon. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> Not even the, it's it's more the, the laughs you got when they accepted the trade versus you actually getting the fourth. Right. Um, and then Stafford. So if you have Stafford, what are the what is the strategy? Because again, dynasty managers are smart. They look at their quarterback room and they go, "Oh, I quite like Kirk Cousins and Derek Carr and Tua Tagovailoa." Right? Mm-hmm. There. Why do they have an incentive to trade for Matt Stafford? So how do you pivot off Stafford? How do you hide the value in pivoting off Stafford to where the other person immediately? Because if I send Eric an offer that includes Stafford and he has to give me Cousins, he's going to be like, "Why would I take on any risk?" Because they, they're almost kind of like in the same bucket. So why would I take the risky one for maybe 5 to 10% more upside with Stafford? Maybe. Why would you take that risk? You wouldn't. Mm-hmm. But what would incentivize you to take the risk? Because I think that's the key on how you maybe ship a couple of Stafford shares. How would you be incentivized to take that risk? Because immediately if you're getting good value, you're like, oh, well, Stafford will be fine. This is a nothing injury. And mm-hmm. you talk yourself into it. So how, how do you pivot off Stafford? What would be your strategy? Now, just kind of thinking of it off the top of my head, I think I would actually tear up. And this is how I would do it. I would take Stafford and my first and give it to, you know, let's say the, the Russell Wilson owner and get Russell Wilson and a second back. Now, then, and with that, I'm hoping that Stafford... You know, what if he, he does get injured and, you know, that sucks. But that second round pick is probably going to be higher. It's probably going to be like the 203, 204, 205, where I'm hoping my first with Russell Wilson is back end 111, 110. I'm not losing much between the 110 and the 203. Let's, let's call it something like that. That's kind of where I would be looking to do it if I could do it. So you would include the first and second swap and would that be have to be contention on your first being already super late like you don't want to take a lot of risk with giving up that first because if it's in the middle of the pack then you probably got crushed on that trade unless stafford gets injured for the season or misses significant time yeah i I would say most of my teams i think i'm competing in or i'm you know i'm going to be the 107 or at worst i'm hoping so if I've given up the 107 to and I get back, you know, Russell, you know, getting back Russell Wilson and things don't work out with Russell Wilson and it ends up being like a 106, 105, it is what it is. But I think Russell Wilson, like a guy like that, I could still definitely compete and have, and, you know, he's going to give me the same numbers that Stafford would have given me. I'm going to probably still contend. I'm still going to have that pick is going to be at the 110. And, Hopefully with that owner, if things don't work out for Stafford and they get, you know, that becomes a 203, sure, there's not much difference there. But if Stafford does work out for them, I still don't think I'm losing that much between if they're like the 20210, you know, I'm, I'd move back around, big deal. But you're losing that risk of Stafford where I'm getting Russell Wilson, who I know is healthy, he's ready to go looking good and all that i think i just kind of want to pivot off of stafford's elbow injury and potential you know missing time this year yeah and i think that sometimes with the wilson and stafford pivot those teams would have both those teams or both those players maybe in the same kind of boat in terms of how they're viewing the scope of their roster Mm -hmm. so let me ask you this this might be even a more feasible deal are 
are you willing to pivot up? And when I say up, it's not going to be up in your mind, though, because you're going to look at these two guys you're going to acquire and you're going to go, they're probably not going to help me contend as much as Stafford. Mm-hmm. Are you willing to add to Stafford to get Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields? Knowing that if you give your first in that deal and they suck, your first might take a hit. Mm-hmm. But you're also probably buying the quote unquote more valuable quarterback. And I think that's a move if the person with Fields or Lawrence is going, I want to try to contend, but I think these guys might not even crack the top 15. They mm-hmm. might actually find an ability to trade away one of those guys if they're able to do a first and second swap. So insert Fields or Lawrence into that Russell Wilson. Are you actually still considering that type of move or do you think they're in the same tier? Because ADP has Fields and Lawrence ahead of Stafford. Right. I'm looking at it, looking at Adikos. He has Lawrence QB 12, Stafford 13, Fields 14. But I don't think this has been updated well, okay, so they're all in the same range. So I guess my point mm. would be with the injury discount, would you be willing to add – maybe it's not a first and second swap. Would you be willing to add a second to Stafford to get those guys? Right, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I would add the second with Stafford to get it and just take the younger asset. That's what I would be doing, yeah. That's you think another you, one that you can try. You think you can get that done? It's possible. Um I like I said I don't have much Stafford so I can't really try it out myself but that's the, I think it's it's feasible yeah I think you could do it especially I think if you if you're okay with Justin Fields I think you can get it done for Justin Fields cuz a lot of the Justin Fields owners are I think are a little spooked right now that man the Bears have a shitty offensive line they don't have any weapons around him he's going to suck this year so I think a lot of the Fields owners would look at that and say, oh, okay, maybe I'll just get out of Fields and take on Stafford. Would you trade Stafford straight up for Cousins and Carr? Yes, I think I would. So just one for one, you just take you alleviate the even 5% risk that you might have with Stafford and just take the other guy that you know is pretty solid? Yeah, I think – I think uh, – both of those guys, Carr and Cousins, could definitely outperform Stafford this year, and that's like if everything went, uh, all were healthy and all played all their games. I can tell myself a story that Dave or uh, Derek Carr is definitely better than Stafford with his weapons, and Cousins in this new offense with his sufficiency, he could definitely be better than Stafford too. Well, yeah, I think Carr is four years younger than Stafford. Cousins is two years younger than Stafford. They're both locked in for at least two more years in their situations and their weapons. So I kind of look at them all in the same bucket. So really you just play the risk and market value game with those three and kind of be willing to pivot depending on your exposure. Uh, Last one, the Russell Wilson trade back to the first and second swap. Jalen Hurts, or is that too much risk for you to also give up a first? I think that would be too much risk, yeah, just because I don't know – if they are going to go with Hertz or not, if it was like a more secure asset, I would do it. So would you give up Stafford in the second for Hertz? I think I, that's probably something that I'd be more willing to do. Yes. Okay. Well, I think we've, we've brainstormed kind of the range and the types of deals you make. If you want to pivot off Stafford, you, you have to hide it in the trade and you have to kind of be willing to acknowledge that you're holding the guy that has, you know, five or 10% risk ish. 
Mm-hmm. And so you have to almost be willing to devalue your own asset and acknowledge that risk and put it into the trade and just see if the other person kind of feels the same way. And you'll know. You'll know if their response to your deal when you try to send them Stafford for Cousins in a third and they go, Stafford's elbows worrying me, no interest. That's mm-hmm. not the guy you're going to go back and forth with. You know what I mean? Right. So I think you'll know right away, depending on how the other person responds, if they're interested in Stafford or if they're looking at him with any sort of risk profile like you might be. Mm-hmm. So good stuff. I think that's a, that's an actionable conversation to have whenever something – it's not just Stafford. It's not just you know a, a, another player that's facing an injury concern. It's more of – you can apply that to any player that pops up. It's not just Stafford. You can kind of look at the scope the same way, and that's how you look to pivot and stay ahead of the game. Right. I agree with that. Uh, so next up, we wanted to get into our next topic here about warp and the impact that it makes on our rookie picks. So you kind of brought this up to me as something you wanted to talk about. So I'll let you introduce the topic here. Well, here's my proposal. I mean, we're already an hour in. I I, I will touch on it, but I kind of am going to tease this for uh, a future episode, maybe the next episode. I want to do a whole show on this, similar to what we did in episode two. But I want to do a whole show talking about uh, warp data and ro- specifically to draft picks and also roster construction with running backs and wide receivers. We kind of touched on it a couple episodes episodes ago, but I want to focus like a whole episode on looking at the draft pick and the, the draft pick data with warp. And it's from AOD 2021 uh, or AOD 2020, I believe, is where it's pulled from. Uh, but there's a lot of other data out there talking about warp and draft picks and how to best use them based on the warp data. And I mean, I think it's when when I showed it to you and you read through it, mm-hmm. intuitively, we're kind of already doing this with the way that we kind of know the market behaves. But I think the advantage is that you want to take it to the extreme and always have it in the back of your mind where these tiers are when you're making these trades. I mean, how many trades over the years have you let essentially go because you have to add an extra third or you don't want to add that late second. I mean, how how many deals have you looked by and gone like, man, that probably if I knew this, I might've been a little more apt to be more aggressive with those picks. And I, I mean, I even said to you, I have made way too many second and third and fourth round picks in my dynasty career. Mm -hmm. And I think we're probably pretty good at making rookie picks. But it's it's also arrogance for me to say, oh, I have all these thirds. I'm just gonna pick them all. Like I I acknowledge how many of those picks. I mean, how many how many thirds and fourths did you make this year? Hundreds, right? Yeah, tons. And what what are the? If I told you that Eric, you only are gonna hit on about ten percent of those, maybe twenty percent, including the ones you can flip for future thirds and stuff. That you don't really like to make bets where you're only getting about fifteen percent hit rate. You know. No, definitely not. You want to just unload those picks as fast as you can. Right. So I think that that's, that's an eye opener to me and we'll do a full episode on that, but I think we're, I mean, honestly, we'll go three hours if we dive into the the rookie pick and warp data. So let's skip over that and let's talk a little Watson. Okay. So with Deshaun Watson, obviously we all know Sue Robinson came down with the six-game suspension or recommended six-game suspension. The NFL has decided to appeal that. Uh, Roger Goodell brought in Pete Harvey to look it over here, and he's a friend of the NFL, basically. he's brought Goodell has brought him in on 
other arbitration cases. So it's probably not looking good for Deshaun Watson this year um, as far as playing. Now, with that news, what kind of trades are you looking to do right now for him and to to acquire him or to trade him away? What, What kind of stuff are you looking to do? Well, so I think we all naturally panicked a little bit on Watson when the appeal information came out. And, you know, I've always been aggressive on buying Watson. I've always been willing to bet on just Watson, the asset, getting back to the level where you know he can produce from like just a quarterback warp standpoint, even if you have to miss a year. I was always fine with that going like, okay, fine. It's not like he's going to be 32 before he plays again. So I'm always willing to just eat a year, especially because we have so many teams. Big deal. I buy a couple shares. He gets parked for a year, comes back next year. And essentially you did that last year too, right? You mm-hmm. knew he was going to be out 2021. You're going out. I can stomach missing a year. You didn't want to miss two years, but we're our, the, the first year is already in the bag. So who cares what happened last year? If you're trying to buy him in 2022, you're just looking at one more year that you would miss. The, the words indefinite suspension have always worried me because that's him conceding to like, well, the, the NFL will just tell me when they want me back. And my conspiracy theory here is that the NFL only wants Watson back if he's actually remorseful and apologetic and he's going to help their image or at least turn around his own image to the point where it's not a stain on the league. And that's my worry is if he gets an indefinite suspension, they'll just be like, yeah, you can apply for reinstatement and come back. And and they'll who knows what terms they're going to put on allowing him back. But if he just continues to be, I, I didn't do anything wrong. You know, I just stay silent and it denies that he did anything. The, the PR point or the image of Watson is never going to change. Wouldn't you agree? If he just continues to be like, I don't want to say, cause he's not like arrogant. It's just, he, you can tell he's turning people off by the way that he responds. You know what I mean? It's just so nonchalant. Like I didn't do anything wrong. Right, And the public doesn't like that. The public wants a guy that goes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've impacted people this way. You know what I mean? However he says it, people want somebody that admits they were wrong. And he doesn't appear to be in a position with that. So the indefinite suspension to me is like, he may never get back. They may may be like, you're always going to be a stain on our image. So we're not going to let you back for... Who knows how long? That's what worries me about Dynasty. Because as long as he's on the shelf and he's suspended indefinitely, mm-hmm. there really is no resolution. And I'm just kind of stuck holding the asset until that flips again. And then they let him back. Then there's obviously going to be a massive buy window when he's back and ready to play. Everyone's going to be like, oh, he's a top, you know, top seven quarterback again. Mm-hmm. So I think just knowing what we know about Warp and, you know, reading through Jordan's book again. Like I, I want to buy Watson. I just think you have to really look at the specific situations where you buy him. Mm-hmm. And I'm prob I probably panicked a little too much when I started to hear the indefinite suspension get thrown around. But I know like deep down, it probably makes more sense from a warp perspective to buy, especially, I mean, how often do these elite quarterbacks come available in leagues that we're in? Yeah, not very often. Like never. So it's almost mm-hmm. like you have to be willing to buy. It's just like we were talking about with Stafford a couple of minutes ago, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're willing to fade the Stafford injury and go, you know what? He's going to give me four or five more years. This is the time to buy. 
because you know he's one of those, you know, that's probably going to be a quarterback one for a couple more years at least as long as he plays. So this is the time to buy. So almost the discount is the fact that he's available. And Watson, I, wouldn't you say Watson's available in pretty much every league if you're willing to pay the price at this point? Like a lot of leagues, people would sell if you're willing to pay the price. Yeah. So I think you just have to be aggressive and find the, the situations on your portfolio where it makes sense where you can afford to give up the excess assets. Yeah, no, that makes 100% sense. I mean, I've tried to acquire him the last couple of days, and I've been told, oh, I'm just, I'm just going to hold him. You know, so those managers are not even wanting to even take an offer for me. Like I would offer, um, I think I offered Zach Wilson in my 2023 first for Watson and he declined it. So that was just a, an offer I threw out just to start to see if he would even be interested in that if he wanted a quarterback to play this year. So I think acquiring him is, is definitely the right strategy on teams that you can afford to do it. Obviously don't like give up one of your 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 second quarterback and just hamstring yourself for the rest of the year if you don't have like a, another option in place. Now, there's ways to go about doing it. You could go get Brissett for cheap for a third round pick. You can go get Trubisky or Goff for a second probably. You know, any of those like one year starting quarterbacks that really aren't worth the first round pick, you can go acquire. I think Matt Ryan is a, is one that's probably going to play another two years that you could probably get for a second round pick um, on, in certain situations. Maybe you have to give out two second round picks for some of these guys. That would be something I would be willing to do if I acquire Watson. If I'm going to sell Watson right now, I just, I just don't think it's the right time. I sold Watson right after the news uh, of the six game suspension and someone came to me and made me an offer of Trevor Lawrence and a first form straight up. And I ended up countering with Trevor Lawrence, a first and two seconds. And one of the seconds was the owner's um, second. So with Watson, if he's suspended for the year, I'm pretty much thinking that second is going to be pretty high within the two, 201 to 203, 204 range. So I'm definitely happy with that outcome uh, from that trade. I think I did really good. I got close to my three first round asking price. I believe Trevor Lawrence is worth the first. I got his first or uh, another owner's first that he had, and the two seconds. So I got pretty close to the three first asking price that I would have for an elite quarterback like Watson. So that's the only way I'm selling Watson still personally, is if I can get close to that three first-round pick um, value. And if I can't, I'll just hold them. Yeah, I'm with you. That whole time I'm sitting here thinking, you know what, I'm not selling Watson at this point unless I literally can make one of those pivots where it's like, wow, I didn't really lose anything in that QB tier. You know what I mean? And and that those deals are not available. Nobody is trading Russell Wilson for Deshaun Watson. You know, nobody's trading Dak Prescott for Deshaun Watson. So, uh -huh. you know, I, I don't necessarily agree with like, hey, let's trade him for Zach Wilson straight up or let's trade him for Mac Jones straight up, you know? Like I'll, I'll just hold in those types of deals. Um, and they're really, honestly, I don't envision myself selling any Watson either just because there's not going to be anybody aggressive enough to buy unless they're, you know, literally offering what you're talking about. So I'm probably, I don't know. I'm probably going to be more on the buy side. And I definitely think if you do a startup draft now mm -hmm. in the next month, that's where you also can buy because yeah. it, it takes a, you know, especially like we, we jump in another league and it's a $175 buy-in, you know, like 
a lot of people are not, I mean, if you're drafting Watson, you are punting next year. Mm. So like, that's the place where if you're willing to stomach the fact that, Hey, I just paid my first year buy-in and I have zero chance to win. That's where you can take advantage and get a value. Cause there's going to be what half the people in the league that are going to be at least trying to win year one, or at mm. least not drafting such a risky asset that gives them no chance to win. They may kind of do like a, a little bit of a productive struggle, but also take some veteran quarterbacks and they, they try to win, but they don't necessarily go all in. Uh, but very few people are going to be like, yep, I'm literally just trying to punt my first year. And that's the type of team you want to put Watson on. So I think I'll be trying to buy, honestly, especially if he gets a year long suspension, I think the market will open up even more. Yeah, I, I agree with that, especially with the whole startup strategy. If you can get him still, there with your like second round pick in the startup that's huge profit i know i did that in a couple leagues this year where i think i got lamar in the first and then it came back around um into the wherever the 208 range and i would get watson there and i think i'm pretty much set for the future with lamar jackson and deshaun watson so definitely love doing that all right, and our last segment is our favorite segment. So on this one, Scott, I wanted to do with all of the new helmets and uniform combinations that have come out this year, I wanted to get your opinion on what is your favorite uniform, NFL uniform, or it can, you can go any sport uniform if, if you want to go that route. What is my favorite uniform? That's tough. That's tough. Cause I mean, I would say I, I, I've always been, even before I was a Bengals fan, I was always a, uh, like a Bengal tiger, like white tiger fan. So the yeah. fact they came out with those helmets is like, I don't ever buy any merchandise. Mm. Like literally I don't have any. And if I was going to buy anything, I'd consider buying one of those white alternate Bengals helmets. Just because it's my team and it's literally like my favorite animal on top. So I mean that that was pretty cool to me. Um, I would say if I looked if I looked back, I think one of my favorites was um, and this is going to be completely random, but because I'm not really a fan of the team, I'm not really a fan of you know a team. I'm more of a fan of just players. Mm -hmm. uh, but I would say I, I loved when the Sixers came out with their new uniforms, like in the late '90s and early 2000s. Mm -hmm when they changed over from the old logo to the new logo. I mean, I, I still have a couple jerseys from back then that are just mm -hmm. like tucked away in a storage unit somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, I know I have a, uh, I had a Chris Webber Jersey when he was on the Sixers. I have an Iverson Jersey back from then. Um, mm -hmm. I don't wear them anymore or anything. Like literally they're just in storage. I, um, right. Those were like the, the basketball jerseys that I actually bought back then. So I'd say those jerseys still kind of hold a special place and you know, they're, they're they're different now so mm -hmm. yeah that i just remember those as always really loving the design right i uh for football i've always liked the miami dolphins uniform especially like the dan marino days uh with that green that green shirt aqua green white pants i, I always love the the helmet and the logo i don't like the new logo i think it's kind of corny but I, I like the old logo. I like when they wear their throwbacks with the old logo on it. So Miami Dolphins have always been a, a, a jersey that I always liked. The San Diego Chargers powder blues and, and even the LA Chargers powder blues now. Those are always a, um, a favorite of everybody's. The Tampa Bay Yucks. 
those are always a nice jersey to go out and see on the field. I hopefully, I don't, they're not going to do it this year, but I'm hoping next year we'll we'll get those um, uniforms back. I'm trying to think of some other cool ones I've always liked. Obviously, being from Cleveland here, I've always liked. Um, I've liked most of the Cav- Cleveland Cavs jerseys that they've had. I think my favorites, even though um, I showed this to Jay Rich the other day, and he's like, oh, those are trash. But the old, um, like, mid-90s, early-90s uh, jerseys with when they had Terrell Brandon and Sean Kemp, it was the uh, the blue, black, and it had the uh, the blue, like, right around the stomach area. I always liked those jerseys. I thought those were really cool. Um, man, baseball, I've always liked, I always liked the Marlins uniforms, um, back when they had like the, uh, the pinstriping, uh, aqua pinstriping, they had the, with the big Marlin logo on the front. Yeah. And they had the, um, they, this is like the early nineties when they first came into baseball, but they had those, um, aqua green hats too. I always liked those. I have one of those Marlins hats, um, in my possession as well. I always liked the Montreal Expos, um, jerseys too. I thought those were really cool. Um, but the, yeah, those are just some of the ones that I liked as well. Yeah. Good stuff. I remember the old, uh, Cavs jerseys. I, I mean, I actually liked the cat when I first, got into basketball, like in the late eighties, early nineties, I, I always liked the old Cavs jerseys, like the simple orange and blue ones with yeah, the, yeah, those are the, cool. Too. Uh, the ball going inside the V. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, those, I always thought it was weird when they changed their jerseys into the nineties and they did the one you were talking about where they had like the blue, mm-hmm. the blue streak. It was like totally different from what I had grown up with the Cavs being, but I, I always liked those old ones back when, like when Jordan terrorized them, yep. those jerseys were, they were basic, but they were pretty cool. Yep. And then just for a a basic one, uh, the Browns white uniforms, the white pants, the white jersey, orange helmet, those are always a classic good look. I mean, the Packers never change. The Packers always have a nice, I mean, it's clean. The 49ers, that red and gold just really goes really good together. So yeah, there's, there's all kinds of different ones, but those are just some of my favorites. Yeah, and this is this is off topic a little bit, but my dad is a huge football fan. He's what who got me into watching football and whatnot. But you know, he used to watch games when they were black and white. And mm-hmm. you know, back in the '60s, there was you know before even everyone had colored TVs. Like you would, and I never thought about this, but he would back in the day because of that, one team would always have to wear white pants and one team would have to wear like dark pants, just so mm-hmm. you could tell the difference. Mm-hmm. And now because everything's in color, you'll turn on a game and it'll be like, you know, the Packers are wearing yellow pants and the opposing team will be wearing, you know, black pants. Right. And like he'll to this day, he'll call me. We talk every weekend. We watch football together, you know, when we can every weekend. And uh, he'll always be like he'll literally text me at the beginning of the game and he'll be like, I hate I hate the pants in this game. Cause it's usually, but one team's wearing right. red and one team's wearing like blue, you know what I mean? Right. It's like one team should always be wearing like their away white pants or whatever it would be for that game. So right. I just thought that was funny. It, it now it's just kind of like whatever looks cool. There's not really a, you know, consideration for something like that because everything's in color. Yeah. I always get that way when it's, when the Browns and Bengals play, cause the color schemes are so similar other than the black and the Brown, you know? That's that's the only way. Like they'll both wear white pants, but one's wearing the brown jersey or their black jersey. 
You know, oh, there's been times when they play where you almost could you could get the teams mixed up. Yeah. 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 That's always that's always one that um, was like that for me. But no, that this is a good episode, Scott. I appreciate you joining me. Um, you can find me at on Twitter at Eric Vanek NFL and you can find the show at America's Game Pod. And don't forget to subscribe to the Destination Devi newsletter as well. It is at allgas.beehive.com slash subscribe. And beehive is spelled B-E-E-H-I-I-V. So make sure you guys go subscribe to that. We just put out a new one. We're putting a new one out every Friday from the whole crew. Ray, Jordan Backus, uh, Jeff, our injury doctor, Adam and Mike from the 4D Chess, Ike and uh, Gene, their podcast as well. Um those guys all got stuff on there. So make sure you guys check them out. Um, you know, good stuff on there. I I've been putting stuff on the newsletter, dynasty Barry, who runs our ADP stuff as well. He's been putting out great stuff in the newsletter. So there's all kinds of good stuff in there. So make sure you guys check that out and Scott, go ahead. Close us out, man. Yep. Another episode of the books. Uh, thanks for co-hosting with me at Charles chill FFB hashtag dynasty leverage dynasty trades in five bunch of other stuff. Just go to my Twitter profile at Charles chill FFB and uh, check it out. So appreciate you, Eric. Yep. Appreciate you, man. And until next week, we'll, uh, we'll see you guys. And one small announcement that we probably make, I think we're probably going to do it, but our, um, FFPC main event draft is on the 18th. Uh, which is a Thursday. We are probably going to record it live um, for this podcast. So you guys can listen to it um, on Saturday when it comes out, but we'll be doing our live FFPC main event draft for you guys live on the podcast. And we got $2,000 as our buy-in. So we got a lot of money on the line in that one. So it's, it's going to be uh, exhilarating for sure. It's always fun. Make sure you get all the right picks. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to that episode too. Certainly. If you like the episode we did a couple weeks ago or last week with the live draft, then uh, you'll, you'll definitely like this one because there's a lot more at play. So we'll go yeah. ahead and sign off. Be chill, everybody. Yeah.